Inside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How are you, man? Doing well. How about you? Ah, I, feel, I feel chipper. I feel good. Well, um, good. One annoying thing about the snow beginning to melt and go away is that construction has resumed on the streets. And so there's a, uh, there's a jackhammer going down the street. Hmm. And um, it's, it, it, I hope nobody can hear it, but I'm conscious of it. And I really wanted to be a construction Karen about this and go down, go down there and just say, there's no need for that to be so loud. Could you do it slightly less loud? Which obviously it has to be loud to achieve the maximum boulder breaking that it needs to. Yes, boulder breaking requires noise. Construction Karen, typically, I don't think Karen's move is to politely ask. I think their go-to is right away, let me speak to your manager. I think that's what you need to immediately, that's the gear you have to find if you're going to do this. Think of me going to a New York construction worker and asking to speak to the manager. The response would be, oh, perfect. (laughs) Uh, Fun podcast we have coming up for you, despite the fact that JJ and I are coming at this from personal low points. Uh, But we will fight through. We will talk about Liverpool and Everton. We will talk about Tottenham and West Ham. Um, And we will do so from the opposing team's perspectives because that is probably the more fun way to do this. Uh, also, Manchester City continuing to roll. We'll get to all the, the, the Premier League stuff that you're going to want to hear about for this week. And then uh, we've got a little bit of a mailbag, JJ. Yeah, and then we've, we've got, got nice, Red Cards Man of the Match. Nice little mailbag, Red Cards Man of the Match. It's, this, is a, this is a nice podcast. Yeah. Um, let's go right into it right now, and let's start with the Merseyside Derby from over the weekend. Everton finally do what many of their fans were – maybe beginning to think would never happen again. And that is win at Anfield. Um, I, I was just, I've been trying to think about this. If you're an Everton supporter, because I, right. there are going to be people out there like your natural cynics, um, you know, your, your people who like to kind of like roll their eyes at everything. And they're, those are the people who are going to see the way that Everton celebrated after that game. And they're going to see some of the things that were said by Everton supporters, and they're going to make fun of those people. And I'm oh. here to tell those people to be quiet. Oh, that, that is, that is the, I am so with you on that. That is absolutely the wrong way to go about it. You can have your, as a Liverpool fan, your recriminations about what happened and it can hurt you as it obviously will. But um, they have every right, every right to celebrate the way they did. Um, and uh, the videos that came out of the locker room, which, <laughs> you know, it was like they'd won something. And they have. They had won something. And, um, yeah, I, I will put that in. Uh, you need to put Everton in a larger context to understand this win. This is, uh, this is not just a, a regular league win. There is not even me in my Liverpool colored perspective could, could even see this as, oh, you're celebrating a league win. In February, you haven't won anything. That's, that is not the tone to take with this uh, victory. Yeah, I feel like that's missing the point. And, you know, what, what really crystallized it, it's a stat that it's almost hard to believe where I saw Jamie Carragher talk about this, and I think it goes back to 1962. So from 1962 to where we are right now in 2021, uh, Everton have – what is it? They have played 58 matches at Anfield and they have won six of them. (laughs) 
I mean, it's just like an incomprehensibly small yeah. number, especially given the fact that from within that 60-year time period, uh, Everton have had some really good eras and, and teams oh, sure. within that. And, even, and, and when you look at it, even in those great moments for them, they still couldn't win there. I don't know how you explain it. I mean, Jamie Carragher, he goes on and he spoke about it a little bit on Sky Sports. And he said, I'll tell you the reason in my experience that their record is so poor. Uh, And also at Goodison, he says, even in the last 20 years as well, he said, Everton never get the Derby right emotionally. They're either too up for it and they get players sent off or they're absolutely terrified going into games, certainly at Anfield. That's his take on, on how this rivalry has kind of gone over the last several generations well he's an everton supporter uh by uh well he's not now but no. he, he i mean i think he was was he was he at the 86 cup final as a blue um so you know he 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 came up or he grew up in the in the best era of everton football think of it this way everton this isn't a new a unique position but but you need to put this in context for people who are not Everton supporters. So in the 80s, Everton were toe-to-toe with Liverpool in many seasons. They won the championship in the 80s. They won, Euro- they were in, uh, they won the European Cup Winners' Cup, uh, 85 or in um, 86. And um, they were uh, one of the premier teams in English football. And they fell off a cliff rather dramatically. They went into the 90s as a strong team. And then by the middle of the 90s, they were fighting relegation. The last cup that they won was in 1995 four years later would be the last time until this weekend that they beat Liverpool at Anfield you know there's 22 year olds walking around who are fully fledged Liverpool or Everton supporters you know died in the wool blues who've never seen their team until this weekend win at Anfield this is huge and also if this was a team that won championships was in Europe and then all of a sudden stopped doing that you know what are they supposed to celebrate? Everton have been, apart from a few years under Moyes, nowhere. Like, nowhere. And you, and you don't want them to celebrate this? It's silliness. I, it's craziness. No, no, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. about Because you and I, we can, we can only really approach this. You've played it at a higher level than me, certainly. Everyone. I, really I, I play it at no level. So right. Uh, right. But I'm trying to compliment you, okay? This is me reaching out an olive branch of, of friendship, JJ. Reaching but, across the aisle. <laughs> but we can really only come at this as fans when we talk on this podcast. And yeah. what we say all the time is, like, I'm sorry, no one, I don't care, your Manchester United's, your Manchester City's, whoever, no one wins enough for this to only be about winning. You know what I mean? Like, th- there has to be more to this than simply trophies. Otherwise, there's, there's no fun to be taken in this oh ever. It's so true. Ar- Arsene Wenger said it best. He goes, only one team can win the league at the end of the season. You've got to get your joy wherever you can get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's why when I see, and I don't, want, I don't want to pile on the modern fan, but if you're a Liverpool fan from the United States, you've been spoiled for three or four years now. And, and this is like crushing. This is crushing that you're now not winning. You're not even good this season. You're quite bad, actually, in the, certainly since Christmas. Um, but that's football. I, I actually don't want it the other way. Decades upon decades of dominance. I can't, I can't imagine what that is like. And I wouldn't want to. It, it changes like the wavelengths of your brain, I feel like. 
yeah, it like it like recompresses the way you view emotion and happiness and and dejection. <laughs> it will sure. change like the makeup of a fan's brain. If 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 you look at how uh, United, who dominated for the best part of you know quarter century, <laughs> you see some of their fans now that lived through that good period, who aren't even really that old, but will remember say two thousand and eight. And times like that when they were regular in the Champions League final or winning the Champions League as they did against Chelsea. And their brains can't get the, their head around the fact that, you know, it's now, it's now just one-upmanship. You know, oh, well, we're second, we're Liverpool. You know, well, I mean, you're second, kind of. <laughs> That's where you are on the table. But, I mean, this is not where you were less, less than a decade ago. It, it, yeah. it totally changes your brainwaves. Look what it's done to Arsenal fans. Every single season in, 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 in 20 seasons, they were in the top four and people made fun of them and they took the, they absolutely took the bit. They, mm-hmm. they would get so angry about being awarded by United, by United or Chelsea fans or wherever, a, a cardboard cutout for like, we won fourth, you know, every season. Mm-hmm. And they didn't realize it. Though that was an incredible achievement considering Chelsea and Man City and where they were at. They should have enjoyed, I definitely think they should have enjoyed that run more. And now it's over. And now they're what, 10th? I don't know. I didn't even yeah. look at the table today. But yeah, yeah so this is, hu- this is huge for Everton fans. Of and, course it is. And Everton have lived on like, um, they've lived on being, uh, you know, the, the, the huge club in the 1980s that they were. They've lived on not being Liverpool for a long time. And they've also lived on, on cult heroes, which is what, you know, like Duncan Ferguson. You know, uh, Seamus Coleman, now I would imagine, who was um, giving verbals to Jurgen Klopp during the game, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so spiky and prickly are Seamus. But, you know, those are the things that they've lived off. And, and I, why, why would anyone, it's a very narrow prism of joy that you experience in football if you're not totally understanding why Everton went lula after that win at the weekend. Yeah. And then that's of course like the big picture grand scheme of things uh, when you're talking about Everton, but, and that win, but the other element of it is, you know, it's also a team that for the last several years, I would say have fairly quickly fallen out of whatever top four race they had hoped at the beginning of the season they would be in. And I think this win at Anfield at this stage in the season, in a year where the competition around them is kind of there for the taking potentially uh, I think this also serves the double purpose of kind of confirming to them, okay, we're in this. This is not, you know, I don't know that Everton are going to qualify for top four. If I had to guess right now, I don't know that they would be in my final predictions at the end of the season. However, no. like in other seasons, by this point, they would have fallen off and it kind of would have been just a year of like more disappointment for Everton fans. And I think this, this sent a message that they, I don't know if they'll do it, but they're going to be in this race maybe until the end. Yeah, I, I think the question for Everton fans now is, and I don't mean to disparage the victory because I, I thought they took their goal very well. Um, actually, should have had a second through Seamus Coleman. As good, as good you know, a ball as that is from Luca Dina, he's got he's to bury that with the diving header. But um, you can't be certain that Everton are going to go on a run now if they're going to put two, three victories back to back. They haven't really done it all season. And... Um, but again, that's, that's, that's something for another day with Everton. You know, um, where they're going long-term looks more positive. They have to negotiate a move to the stadium. There was news today that that has been approved. So, um, you know, Everton are in a good place right now, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we are going to see now just a run. This is going to inspire a run till the end of the season because, let's be honest, Everton, 
Everton executed a plan brilliantly at the weekend, but it's a plan that Sean Dyche managed. Graham Potter, who can't win anything, managed. You know, so um, uh, that may temper temper prospects for the rest of the season a little bit. Uh, JJ, that's uh, that's the Everton side of things. Before we even go to Liverpool. Uh, and their side of it. Let's stay with uh, let's stay with the happy. Okay, we just started the podcast here. We like to start on on bright, happy notes. So stick with the Moisey, right? So we'll stick. You know, we we just did Merseyside Derby and the winners of that. Let's move now to a London Derby and the winners from that. And that was West Ham with a huge win, two one over Spurs. They remain in the top four, which is ama- it's an amazing accomplishment for them, even at this stage in the season. I'm not trying to sound patronizing or anything like that. You're it doing really, a good job. Well, it, no, it really is. And I would think even a West Ham supporter would tell you that. And I'll tell you what, we actually have one with us right now uh, as we go in the club with West Ham. Rashane Thomas, West Ham correspondent from The Athletic, kind enough to uh, give us a few minutes right now. Rashane, what's up, man? How are you? I'm forever blowing bubbles. <laughs> I'm all good. I'm I'm on, I'm still on the high from that win over Tottenham on Sunday. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I imagine you, right now. I imagine you are, and I guess we'll start just with kind of like what I was posing there a minute ago. Like from coming from me, a Tottenham supporter, I, I don't mean for it to sound patronizing in any way, but do you agree that even being where you guys are right now, uh, you know, here mid February, top four, is this already? more of an achievement than whatever you thought you were going to get from this club this season? Uh, most certainly. I mean, it, it, it just feels weird being being considered all for Europe. Like, West Ham top four, that, I mean, what? <laughs> but it never, it never happens. Usually we're used to, like, West Ham just about surviving in the league, maybe top ten if we're lucky. But the fact that West Ham actually, you know, challenging for, for, for Europe in top four merit, doing much better than other London clubs like Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea... Uh, it's, it's just remarkable, really. And as you touched on, bearing in mind last season, West Ham just about stayed up. And uh, West Ham could potentially be, you know, finishing the top four. Just And it's all down to Kevin Moyes. It really is. All down to him and the fact he's got the players to have the self-belief that they can, you know, go one step further and challenge for Europe. Either if West Ham don't finish in top four, maybe a top six. It's just it's just incredible. Roshan, is, um, what's, what's Moyes done different? Because... Let's be fair, when the board, when uh, Gold and Sullivan and Brady said Moyes was coming back, he wasn't exactly greeted with open arms by the West Ham faithful. So what's been different this time round about his approach to the side? A number of things, really. The, one, the main one is that obviously recruitment's been a lot better. You've seen players like Thomas Suchet, Vladimir Saval, Saban Rama, Craig Dawson. Uh, Craig Dawson's been playing so great. West Ham fans are calling him Virgil van Dawson after virtual Van Dyke. So that's how what he's been doing. And obviously we've seen that all have an impact. Previously, West Ham was signed players. You wouldn't, you know, do particularly great. So now it's great that Moyes has signed players having an impact. And I mean, it's a great togetherness and a brotherhood in this team. It's not like 11 individuals. It's the actual team that want to do off for each other. So that's the first one. Second one, it's just a case of like training. I know it sounds so simple, but like players is on it in training now. Before on the Pellegrini, it'll sort of be like you didn't play one training, you'll still be in starting level for a match. Whereas now, if you're not playing one training, you're not, you're not even, you won't even be on the bench. You know what I mean? So you have to be on it all the, all the time. And we're seeing that sort of competitiveness in the team. You don't play well, someone like, for example, look at defense. Fabian Barbena came in for Diop. Barbena missed the game. Craig Dawson came in. Uh, Ogbonna got injured, Diop coming for him and playing well. Like players know if, if you get an opportunity, you, you've got to grab it with both hands. And we're seeing that a lot. So, and obviously a huge, a huge shout out to Moise's backroom staff, Paul Nevlin, 
Stuart Pearce, Kevin Nolan, Alan Irving, all doing a remarkable job as well. So all in all, that's main, the main reasons why West Ham have been just so incredible this season because of all those reasons. Yeah, you mentioned all that and you talk about what a team effort it's been for this group. But I'm curious to even go more, a little more specific. Like who are the players for this West Ham side that are, in your estimation, at least overperforming that have helped them get to kind of the heights that they're at right now? Oh, that's a great question. I would say the, the first one really is Antonio because we all know he's capable of scoring goals, but with Antonio, it's a case of, oh, can he do it for like a sustained period? Previously, Antonio would score like maybe two or three goals and he'll sort of go quiet for the next two or three months. Whereas now, he's it's been a remarkable, more consistent goal scorer. And then obviously, that was Moyes. Moyes had the vision to turn him from a winger into a forward. So that's great. Cresswell, oh my goodness. Again, West Ham yeah. fans started calling him, uh, is it Paolo Maldini, the former AC Milan fullback? Is it yeah. Maldini? Yeah, but they're calling him Maldini now, like the English Maldini, just hilarious. So he's been great for another player who's benefited from, um, from what he's been manager. Craig Dawson, oh, what a signing he turned out to be. I'll be honest, when he first joined us thinking, Craig Dawson, really? Craig Dawson, the full player to sign? And now look, he just... Dare I say it, probably perhaps in good contention to be involved in the England squad soon. So he's another player that's played well. But the one player who I really think is taking the game to the next level on the more is Declan Rice. We all know how talented he is, but I've seen a leader in Declan Rice, only 21 years old, and what he's doing on a regular basis. Bearing in mind, Mark Noble's not playing, which he's the captain for West Ham, but he's at the age now where he's not guaranteed minutes. Whereas Declan Rice is taking on that mantle of captain, always giving instructions to players, players... Look at him as the sort of leader to lead by example. So, yeah, definitely Declan Rice of all who benefited from Moyes returning. Yeah, Rosh, I, I don't want to go down this road. It's, it's a negative road, but I might as well. So, um, if you look at the, the tandem of Rice and Suchek in the middle of the park, like, like you said, Declan Rice has been fantastic. And, and we all know the talent he has. Uh, we all know that there's probably, there's probably some vultures circling the, the West Ham nest in terms of trying to pry him away. Um, so, we're in this moment where... Let me give you the scenario. Things are good. The West Ham support are happy, albeit they're not in the ground, so it doesn't really matter, but they're happy. Um, the board, for once, don't have the heat on them that they've had for the past how many years? Uh, big part of the board taking the club to the London Stadium was that increased revenue, push for Europe, more money would mean that they wouldn't sell their best players. So is the next... I guess, what would, what would you call it, fracture point for the fans going to be this summer and where Declan Rice ends up? The big thing about it is, obviously, last season was a huge intense Declan Rice. If West Ham had suffered relegation, it would have already been Declan Rice. It was other players who had who who you know, left to join other clubs. But I'd say that the fact that Chelsea sacked uh, Frank Lampard, that's one less burden for, for West Ham fans to worry about because he was the big the biggest person that uh, Chelsea trying to sign uh, Declan Rice. He was a huge right. fan, a huge, huge fan. The, the ball that West Chelsea weren't so keen on Declan Rice, but Frank Lampard was like, listen, we need to sign this guy. Like, he's really good. So now he's no longer in charge at Chelsea. West Ham fans are like, oh, hallelujah. Like, <laughs> praise the Lord. Now, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Now we can sort of sleep easier now. And I feel like for someone like Declan Rice, listen, he cares about West Ham, but it's about the club challenging for like Europe and making that next step, not just staying up. So he has to stay there. Yeah, he has to stay. He has to stay. And the club has to show that ambition that, listen, we can be challenges for Europe on a regular basis so we can 
get players like you to be committed, get players like Antonio to be committed, Suchek to be committed, because there'll be other clubs interested in signing someone Suchek, that's for sure. He's a box-to-box midfielder, scoring so many goals, so other clubs will be looking at him. So it's about yeah. West Ham showing, listen, we can get, we can, we can challenge for Europe, we can recruit well, like, believe in us and we can keep doing good stuff. And for me, I feel like when it comes to Declan Rice, listen, we're always talented, but the grass is always green on the other side. Like, there's been players who join big clubs, it hasn't really worked out for them. I look at someone like Declan Rice, the fans love you, they adore you. Like, if you were to go to a club like Chelsea, Man United, you'd just be like another regular person. Whereas at, at, at West Ham, you actually have a club that they can build around you. So, that's, that would be my advice to Declan Rice. Uh, yeah, don't go yeah Rash, I just, I just wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hang my hat on Declan Rice's loyalty. Being an Irishman, I, I kind of know how that goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. One other signing with West Ham that, I don't know when it happened, at least, you know, from our perspective, it didn't really register in a major way for us on this podcast. We might've given a brief mention and that was it. And that was Jesse Lingard. And I feel like he's come on for West Ham and he's made uh, the uh, uh, Andrew, I'm, I'm going to have to correct you. It's Jay Lings. It's Jay, Jay Lings. Come on, Andrew. Yeah. Come on. It's <laughs> my bad. My bad, everyone. Apologies. Apologies. Um, Jay Lings has come on to West Ham and he's made an impact that I'll say for myself, I did not see this coming. Um, and I'm wondering, what was the feeling from West Ham supporters when he was brought in? Was it kind of like, eh, all right, I don't know what this does? Or was it like, all right, we can, we can make this work? How, what was the feeling on him? At first, I, I guess it was a bit of frustration, but not aimed at Lingard. It was aimed at the fact that West Ham, you know, felt to sign a striker. A lot of West Ham fans were like, we need, to get another, we need to get a striker in. We need to get a backup for Antonio. So we signed Lingard, and I was like, yeah, it's good we have Lingard, but where's the striker? Who's going to score that like, 10 goals between now? At the end of the season, so I, I'm just happy for Lingard that it's working out well so far. I wrote a piece with Athletic, just looking back on Lingard's journey to the club. I spoke to Lee Clark, his ex-manager at Burnham City, and uh, Rennie Monestein, who, who we all know was a big, uh, uh, big factor behind you know, Alex Ferguson's success at Man United. And Rennie Monestein told me, "Listen, this guy is amazing. Like his work rate is just second to none. If he keeps playing well, you know, does all the right stuff, there's no reason why he can't be involved in England squad." So I sort of put this tweet out with that quote. And people were like, England score, Jesse Lingard, what on earth are you talking about? Like, it's not going to happen. And now look, three goals in the space of a month, become a, a big player for West Ham, popular member in the dressing room. His, his, his personality is already rubbing off on players. We saw the celebration against Tottenham, the whole playing the flute and, and Fournals playing the guitar, Declan Rice playing the drums. That is Lingard. His personality is already rubbing off on the players. And it's good to have players like that. We touched on earlier the recruitment. And as I mentioned, West Ham having players that are like individuals. We're seeing the brotherhood, the togetherness. And Lingard's definitely been a big factor behind that. Uh, last one for me, Arash. Uh, so, so what's... Look, dreaming, obviously, the, the top four is, is... You're there now. Um, what, what, what's going to be... Well, where do you expect West Ham to finish? Let me, let me ask it straight like that, rather than just say... Because obviously the dream is top four. Where, where do you expect them to finish now? Oh, uh, looking, looking at definitely top four. <laughs> Definitely top four. Listen, I'll tell you what, yeah, I need to work on my cardio because if West Ham finishes the top floor, I'm doing backflips all over East London. I'm doing backflips all over East London. That's how happy I'll be. But yeah. listen, we're very merit right now. It's in our hands. I know there's some tough games coming up, but listen, people wrote off Leicester City when they won the Premier League during that season. People thought their form would like, drop off eventually. And right. people are sort of saying the same for West Ham and top four. And, like, I, I see a team on a weekly basis who keep proving that was wrong. Like, there's no reason why West Ham can't finish the top four this season. This is more doable than Leicester winning the championship, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah I'll say so. Yeah, yeah, I, say so. I think that's reasonable. Well, I say this somewhat begrudgingly. Good luck to you <laughs> and to your club. 
Uh, Rashane <laughs> Thomas from The Athletic, we appreciate you giving us some time uh, talking West Ham today. Thanks so much, man. No, I much appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks to Rashane Thomas. Of the, the happiest Athletic. man. The happiest man in East London. Yeah. I, I can picture just like, you know, the, on the local news report of like, a man is just like kicking people around East London on doing backflips incessantly. He can't stop himself. Look, I get it. Like we were just talking about the joy for an Everton supporter. And like it kind of in, in some ways goes hand in hand with West Ham, not specifically in necessarily the club they've beaten. I mean, West Ham have actually had some pretty good success against Tottenham in recent years, yeah. even when Tottenham were at their best. Um, but just what it, what it means for them and for their season. Like I wonder if they're, if you're West Ham, and like Rashane was saying, you're, you're kind of going into most seasons with the expectation of let's just be mid-table. Let's just stay up. And then you beat Spurs to, you know, move or remain in the top four. It's kind of like with Everton sending a message to other clubs, like that this is at least to a West Ham supporter, okay, now we know this is not just fool's gold, that we are actually a part of this race. Again, like I said with Everton, whether or not they're able to stay in it throughout the remainder of the season, I don't, I don't know. And again, when I make my predictions on what the top four will be, I don't know that I'll have West Ham in it for me. But here and now watching that game, look, West Ham played a great first half. Uh, and then I'll say this, bitter Spursy Andy, I thought they were a little bit fortunate to have hung on to all three points in the second half. I think Tottenham did apply a lot of pressure. And West Ham, after scoring that early goal in the second half through Lingard, and credit to them for getting it, they were able to then change the way they wanted to play and, and be more defensive. But they didn't try to score after that. And Tottenham got pretty close. But look, that's, that's how this game goes. So props yeah. to them, man. Yeah, I just want to follow up on something that uh, Rash said there. Um, he was talking about Aaron Cresswell and, you know, people comparing them to Paolo Maldini, which, you know, I mean, it's probably – It is, is funny. <laughs> it's funny. And – Easy now. It's funny and over the top, but um, the 31-year-old has made more final third passes, 245, and has created more chances from set plays, 21, than any other defender in the league. Uh, West Ham have scored more set-piece goals than any other Premier League side, with four Amazing. of Cresswell's six assists coming in this manner. So um, that was, I read that in Football London this morning, and I just thought, that is excellent production from Aaron Cresswell. It's also the attention to detail on set pieces has kind of become the hallmark of, of Moyes at West Ham. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it has. I mean, they got, you know, their, their first goal in this game, it wasn't a set piece, but it almost looked like one uh, with the amount of time that uh, Jared Bowen was given to play in that ball. And, and it was perfect. Antonio Great got, ball. you know, good piece on it. Lloris made a nice save, but he had no shot on the second. So yeah, I mean, West Ham, they're look, I, <laughs> I did my back padding last week and I guess I should continue it here. Like I kind of said this before the season that if you looked at their starting 11, you know, and, and compared them with some of the other bigger quote unquote, bigger sides, you, you could see before the year that they, they had an opportunity to go toe to toe with some of those teams. Now, like that's easier said than done. Players have to stay healthy players who, you know, who we may look at in a certain light have to play up to what those capabilities and, and expectations are. And up till now, they have. And I don't, think it's, I don't think you can necessarily look at where West Ham are and say that this is any kind of fluke. I think that this is a legitimately good team. And their, their manager right now has kind of turned back the clock in terms of his own career. And is I, looking more like, the, like you had said before, kind of like the prime Everton days, David Moyes. I think it's a, it's a nice mix of, of West Ham being organized and good at certain things with, some, with a sprinkling of good players and good signings as 
as Rosh mentioned, and also the nature of the season that we're having right now. And they're capitalizing on it and, and, um, and fair play to them. So that's the happy, JJ. Um, All right. Everton, West Ham. I guess we, we should take a look at the other side of this, and that is two clubs that, I mean, depending who you ask, are both now falling into various states of crisis. Uh, I guess I'll ask you first with Liverpool. Is, is that overstating it to even throw the word crisis into a sentence with Liverpool right now? I mean, it's not good. <laughs> a cr- crisis is – maybe crisis is a bit strong, but, like, it's, it's – be- it has been a disaster since Christmas. Let's be, be perfectly honest. It's not been good at all. And, um, and the weekend was just another kind of Groundhog Day, uh, a perfect encapsulation of, of, of a season gone wrong. They concede early and you never feel like they're going to get back in. Or, it's not fair to say you never feel like they're going to score. Come but on, like, say oh. it. Come on. No, well, you don't feel like they're going to score these days. Or if they do, it's going to take a tremendous amount of effort. And against the Carlo Ancelotti side that was very well, um, very well organized and compact, it was going to be very difficult. Uh, and then we get an injury as well with Jordan Henderson, which just, I mean, that is the... Unbelievable. Yeah, incredible. Non-contact injury as well when he's, when he's running. Um, so you're in, you are in crisis mode because you look up now and you think, where's the next win going to come from? What are they going to do? What can they possibly do to change things, to make things better, to, um, you know, the pace of play is, I still think is a huge problem uh, against the low block sides. We don't move the ball quick enough to disrupt their defenses. And I, I don't know how that changes. Yeah, it's, um, there's a real danger of, you know, you've got, you've got on the cards coming up, you've got Timo Werner on his way to Anfield. Um, against what centre-back pairing? We don't know yet. Um, well, Kabak and Davies. Kabak plus Davies. Kabak, probably Kabak and Phillips from what me and you have heard yeah. um, from sources uh, suggesting that maybe Davies won't be as prominent a player or as prominent a signing as people have thought. And um, not that Phillips has done anything in, wrong in particular, but that is not a quick centre-back pairing. That is not a, a speedy... It's a long way from Van Dyke and Matip, or even it, Van Dyke and Gomez. Van, well, Van Dyke and Gomez, yeah, it certainly is. So, um, so there's reason to look at the rest of the season with, with trepidation, absolutely. Um, not the thing just with from... Liverpool that, that I keep wondering about is whether or not we're talking about sort of the end product of an exhausting three-year run. This mm. is kind of almost, not to, not to like demean it, but almost a mulligan year like, okay, we, we've, look at what we've achieved. This, we were never going to be able to maintain this pace. Guys are missing this season with injuries. It's a chance maybe for some legs to, to rest up. Come back, run it back again next year. We'll be fighting right back again at the top of the table like we have been under Klopp. Is it that, or is this actually the end of, of some kind of era? And I feel like well, I almost feel bad bringing this up. This is like a podcast unto itself. That we no, no, no. I mean, I, I, it's too. It's it's way you. Can, it's impossible to assess end of era status on this. But what you can say is that, um, you know, I, I saw Michael Cali tweet this yesterday, and I thought it was pretty good. He said the positive for the club is the club being Liverpool is that this desire to capital letters, find out what's wrong with Liverpool should give them cover, give them the cover they need to turn over a squad that while it's fine now needs an overhaul before everyone actually gets old. There's as Jamie Carragher pointed out last week and and we talked about on the podcast, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of miles on the clock and, um, and teams operate in three year cycles and there are players that need to be moved on. And, and you can't, you can't, let's forget about the injuries for a second. 
for just put them to a side for a second. You're looking to change the game in the second half and you look at that bench. Where are the game changers? Where are the guys to go, that are going to come in? Now, could, it, could, could this team get a bounce from um, someone who was supposed to be part of a replenishing of the team? Diogo Jota, he's training now. Maybe he comes back in, Firmino drops to the bench and things liven up again. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe as Carraher suggested, they, they do a, a change of formation to something that allows them to play an extra attacker um, to, to help out that attack. Um, I don't know, but I, I don't think it's end of an era stuff. I, 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 or certainly it's too early to assess that, but it's certainly end of, of the first cycle. I mean, it's, teams don't operate in long periods of time anymore. And as we always talk about, even Fergie changed every three to four years because you have to. And uh, Liverpool are at that point right now and injuries have, have not helped them to implement the changes that they wanted um, in the places that they wanted with Thiago and, and Diogo Jota. So it's, I think it's too early. Too early to say, really. But it's yeah. That, that's oh, I'm not afraid. To, I'm not afraid to say it's a pretty crap situation right now. Yeah. Certainly. And and much of what you're saying kind of a, can serve as a nice transition into talking about where Tottenham are at. Because a, I would also agree with you that uh, Tottenham are. If you want to apply the word crisis to where Spurs are at right now, I'd say go ahead by all means because it, it certainly feels like that. And you know what you talked about with Liverpool, and you always cite Alex Ferguson talking about the three-year cycles, and if Liverpool are maybe at the end of one of those. You know, that was, that was Tottenham's issue. Pochettino said it in that, in that final season, before his final season, you know, in mm. that season where they made their run to the Champions League final, that this was a squad that needed refreshing. And you kind of see now that in not having really done that to maybe the level that they should have, or certainly at the time in which they should have, uh, they are... They are reaping the, uh, I was going to say rewards, whatever the opposite of a reward is, the, uh, the, cir- the, the circumstances of not having done that. Because yeah. some, of these, some of these players uh, right now are just, you know, I feel bad saying it because some of these guys ha- have been good servants to the club. Eric Dyer is kind of one that comes to mind. Um, you know, the back line in general, it's just, it's just killing them. It's just killing them. Davinson Sanchez shutting off at the wrong time, allowing Lingard to run right by him on that second goal. I mean, we're seeing like, – you, you talk about – you and I were talking before the podcast, and you were like, I don't even know how much to say about Liverpool because I feel like I'm saying the same things every week. And, and I feel the same way, JJ, about Tottenham with just I, backline defenders turning off at the wrong times. It's just like this is Groundhog Day every week for them right now. Yeah. Um, I – I definitely think there needed to be changes made in the center of defense. I certainly think there needed to be, um, you know, you can't say though that they haven't spent money, Andrew, and you can't say that there hasn't been players brought in for this manager. Um, I'm coming at this from a, from a totally different angle uh, to you. I've, I've consistently said that I think this, this team and this bunch of players can do better. And, and that the style of football that they play in is, is, you know, let me ask you this. Do you believe in the concept of like multiple lives? Is there someone out there? There's another Andrew. There's another JJ. Do you believe in that idea that there's no. someone who? No, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, the idea of a doppelganger. Because I feel Not right really, now, no. I, I feel right now there's somebody who is a senior player at Tottenham Hotspur, who may not look like me, but inhabits my mind. And he's been talking to Jack Brook of The Athletic. And this came out today, Andrew. And 
you know, if this sounds like JJ, if this sounds like the drum I've been banging forever, then, uh, you know, maybe there is somebody who is me within, the, within Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, the, the, uh, Jack begins like this. After Tottenham lost their fifth Premier League game out of six, Jose Mourinho insisted that the methods that he and his coaching staff use are second to nobody in the world. But the reality inside the Spurs dressing room is that some players are unhappy with training sessions they think are too defensive, too focused on the opposition, and not as intense as they were used to under Murcio Pochettino. Everything has changed now. This is a quotation from a player. Everything has changed. Even the training is so defensively minded now, one dressing room source says. There is no plan to move the ball forward. The plan is to defend, boot the ball up to Harry Kane and Son Heung-min, and that's it. Now, that quote on its own is just absolutely astounding that this is coming from a senior player or a player involved in the squad inside Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and it just brings me back to, remember our review of All or Nothing? And I had this laundry list of Mourinho's negativity, but it was as if I was being like gaslit by all our listeners, not just you, all our listeners. I thought I was going mad because you guys were talking how positive and upbeat he is. Andrew, what we're seeing from Spurs right now, yeah, you can talk about Eric Dyer, probably not a center back, you know, uh, things haven't maybe been completely replenished throughout that squad, but this is the net result of what you get with this manager. And, and I, can't, I can't believe that there is... You know, even the question, can he turn it round now? This is over. This is done. And it's done in part because he was the wrong man appointed as manager of Tottenham Well, well the only thing that can be turned around, because I would agree with you, their, their season is done. Um, but, but he's not, but, but, but they can't continue to have him as manager. It's okay, not well, getting I better. Don't, I don't know about firing him right now. I don't know that. I would necessarily do that. A, because well, they can, I just don't know the Tottenham or that club that can keep shelling out millions of dollars to managers that aren't managing their team. I just don't know that they don't have that financial might to do that. Um, and also, like, say what we want about their their league campaign. I agree with you. It's it's in the it's in the trash. But they're in a cup final against Manchester City. Uh, they're probably enough? still among. The among the you know the the three or four favorites for Europa League, and you know, it is he the right guy necessarily to to help them win cup competitions? Maybe he's better served at this stage in his career to be doing that than managing across an entire league campaign against you know lower opposition where he's setting up more defensively. So, like I would give him the rest of the season, and then I think. They'll probably, I mean, look, if he takes home two trophies, then I guess it's going to be a different conversation. But as it stands right now, I'd give him the rest of the season, see if he can win you at least one of those two, uh, and then you reassess. Yeah, I, I, there's, no, there's a no-break clause in this contract as well, which complicates everything. Um, because like you said, he's on a reported $15 million a season. Um, so, our, Yeah, what, the Tottenham what? are not, they're not, they've never operated that way. Uh, so it would surprise me if they were going to do that now. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's just been so obvious for so long. Well, here, here's the only thing I would say to you, because all of what you're saying is, it's, you say it gaslit by our listeners, but really you're talking about me because I, I defended no, 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 no. stage. That's fine. No, 
No, that's fine, though. The only thing I would say is sometimes I feel like you have approached this where the players can do no wrong, and this is just their marionette pulling the strings, and, and he's responsible for everything. No, but Andrew, and you can't... I would say that he has, he, has, he is proving that he is not the right man for the job. That is true. However, there are players on this team that are letting him down, that are letting the club down, that have not been good enough, and they are part of the problem, too. It's not, this is not just a Josie Mourinho problem. There are players on that team that are showing now that they've got to be moved on if Tottenham are going to take any next step back to being a consistent top I mean, team. some of those are going to be players that were, that were signed under Mourinho. Look, look at the reports we saw on ESPN FC just today about Matt Doherty. Mm-hmm. Mourinho well, wants rid, wants him gone. Uh, how did it come to be that he ended up at the football club? If, if this was the, if, you know, if it was going to work out like this, I mean, was the, what, what does that say about recruiting? You know, I mean, I, I, you're right. You're, you're talking about one, one of his guys that were brought in. Uh, yeah, I think Bergwijn, if I had to Bergwijn, guess. Andrew, Bergwijn became a piñata for, for a period under, under Mourinho. And, um, well, maybe Bergwijn was on the way into the club before Mourinho arrived. I can't quite remember. But, um, yeah, like, again, he's in and, and he's gone for a period and then he's back. Uh, look at the way he treats – the way, I mean, Tottenham fans – seem to be a little bit split on this, but Deli Ali, for example, I, I just, I don't know. I just see so much of the same old stuff we've seen with him before. I never thought it was going to work. And, um, and, and now here Levy is reaping what he sowed. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see where their season goes from here. I mean, they do have what on, on paper appears to be winnable matches coming up. Burnley, Fulham, Crystal Palace. Those are their next three. Mm. If they want to entertain any idea of the last couple months of the season having meaning, uh, that's got to be nine points right there. But I think right now with this team, they're just kind of in a place where you, no opponent you can look at and say, okay, well, that's a win. That one's a win. That one will be tough. But I think, uh-uh. They're all, every one of these games is just kind of up for grabs. At least that's, that's how it feels. Maybe, who knows, maybe one or two matches, you, you know, you get a two nil or something, you start to feel good and things can turn. We've seen that before, but where we're at right now, it just doesn't, doesn't feel like that. It, um, it is something in which we share, Andrew, nothing is a given anymore. Uh, Let's see a couple other things um, that we wanted to get to Manchester city uh, over Arsenal last weekend, they scored early. And that was really it. It's kind of, uh, it's almost a different, like this Manchester City in terms of dominance, you know, it, it's the same old story from their, their past dominant sides. That's 18 straight wins for them now. But in terms of how they go about it, it almost feels different to me than some of the other ones. Like scoring 1-0 early on and then almost shutting it down after that. Uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just different, I feel, than, than how they've done things in the past. You're right. Um, I was listening to Jonathan Wilson, who said their their press is um, is a little bit different. It's it's a little less, which allows kind of more control defensively and and doesn't leave as many gaps. So that's part of it. And we we were talking about uh, before Christmas, Andrew. Remember, we were speaking that oh, maybe Pep is you know saving something for the Champions League or maybe he was just pulling the team back a little now I don't honestly think he was deliberately trying to draw with West Brom in the middle of December I don't that's not what I'm saying but there there seemed as if Man City were playing a little bit more reserved and now they're on this quite incredible streak which we should talk about 18 straight wins um, across all competitions 
With six more wins, City will equal the longest ever run of 24 consecutive wins in all competitions in club football. Do you know who currently owns that uh, club football world record of 24 consecutive wins? This would be a total guess. I'm going to say Bayern Munich. No, the mark was set 10 years ago by Brazilian club side Coritiba. Do you know, you won't know this one. I didn't even know it, but I looked it up. Do you know who holds Europe's longest domestic streak unbeaten? So unbeaten, not, we're not just talking wins. Uh, we're talking unbeaten. In Europe? Yeah. All right, European let's, record. Let's, uh, let's go with Ajax. Oh, okay. Interesting. I would've, that would have been a good one for me too. No, Stoya Bucharest hmm. hold European football's longest domestic unbeaten record between 1986 wait, and 1989. Good Lord. Good Lord. A good team, Stoya. Very dominant. But this, this is the kind of, um, maybe not quite like that, but uh, yeah, maybe closer to Coritiba. But yeah, this is, uh, this is the zone city are in right now in terms of uh, breaking records. Yeah, I mean, look, when you've got five foot seven Raheem Sterling rising up over defenses to head in goals, it's just like everything is kind of going your way. And now De Bruyne is back. Um, it's just it's one of those things where we've talked about Manchester City in other years before, and I, I felt this way again looking at not their starting eleven, but at their bench. And I'm just like, yeah. okay, Phil Foden, Aguero, Rodri, Kyle Walker. I'm like, this is this is their bench. It's like that's what we're that's what we're dealing with here in this club. They're they're a juggernaut after I guess last season kind of being a year off. Uh, they are right back at the top. Yeah, which is um, kind of depressing considering what we laid out before Christmas for what this league might become in terms of a race. But there we are. Yep, no race to be had. Uh, Chelsea, JJ, they uh, put a little bit of a bump in the road in their road back to near the top of the table. Um, yes, against, against a very out of form Southampton side, one one. So a couple things with this game. First off, um, in terms of most embarrassing things that can happen to an athlete, Oof. where where does coming on as a sub in soccer and then getting subbed off rank? It's got to be near the top. Uh, in football terms, it's it's the top. It's humiliating. We're talking about Callum Hudson Odoi, by the way, for anyone yeah. who isn't aware. Yeah, and, and and Tuchel said he cleared the air with him yesterday, but um, he also, right in the post-match press conference, literally said his standard was not good enough. Like he, Tuchel clearly is a man on a, a short leash. The short leash being an eighteen-month contract, so he is not wasting any time with anybody, even a twenty-year-old starlet, who um who is wanted by a couple of German sides, I do believe. Um, but he's, um, he's not pulling any punches. Uh, it, it is pretty much the worst thing that can happen to you. Like what, what are other things you can think of? I was trying to brainstorm of like other hugely embarrassing kind of sports happenings. Like this isn't nearly as bad, but in baseball, if like, if they are intentionally walking someone because they want to face you, you know, that, I mean, that happens all the time, so it can't be quite as bad. But I feel like if you're that batter, it's kind of like, oh, they really don't think much of me, do they? Wow, yeah. Um, in American sport, I'm struggling with this one. Uh, I guess, you know, that the concept of could, – could the concept of, of hack-a-shack 
be seen as yeah. as, as demeaning. Just follow that guy because he'll definitely not score with a free shot. Right. Yeah, that could that could be. I don't think again. I don't think any of these are as bad. No, this is dreadful. I'm bringing you in to impact the game. Oh, you are so bad. I have to take you right off again. You're actually going to make things worse. <laughs> uh, man, that's it's rough. But, um, but it is interesting how he's attacked this. You know, <laughs> he is not. Um, he's a man who is on, like I said, a short leash, and he's going to move and move quickly. He's ver- let's put it this way: he's a, he's aware of his surroundings. He's not going to get too comfortable. I think if Pulisic's apartment in Chelsea is still pretty much unfurnished. I would imagine there is nothing in, in Tuchel's apartment. Yeah. And speaking of Pulisic, I would say now would not be the right time to start furnishing it. No. Uh, so we joked last week that Thomas Tuchel hates America. Um, <laughs> you joked that. <laughs> oh, and what? You were serious? You think he actually does? No, no, no. This is all you. I'm trying to push responsibility for things said onto you. Uh, Christian Pulisic, obviously, he did not play again. He's, there's more talk about um, injuries. Uh, His he, calf, again. Thomas Tuchel is now being asked in press conferences about Christian Pulisic's future, and he's trying to give diplomatic answers, but they're not necessarily ardent, strong, supportive statements that Christian Pulisic is going nowhere. You're not really hearing that. No. Um, and I'm going to lay out the case why he will probably go and leave Chelsea in the summer. Okay. Um, but, but I should mention, he is back in the squad for the Atleti game today, which is, uh, we're talking to you on a Tuesday. So, um, um, but Tuchel said yes. Today, clearly, yes, we're responding to, has Pulisic a future at Chelsea? But it's not only my point of view, so it's not down to me. We have to see. For me, clearly, yes, because Chelsea bought Christian for a reason, for his quality and his potential. So it's our job to bring out the best in him. He proved in many weeks that he has the level to be a Chelsea regular player, to have a big impact at this club. And it's a challenge now to maintain the level and to keep improving. Um, Which is, let's be honest, quite a departure from the stock caught offside answer of the end of last season of the restart, where he is Chelsea's best player in our view. And I still still think in those Frank, Frank Lampard sides, he was the best player. Here's why I think he'll go, Andrew. Um, first of all, uh, Tuchel's relationship with him is fine and everything. But like we said, Tuchel is a man. Sorry, Tuchel. Tuchel is a man in a, in a rush. Thomas Tuchel has a short amount of time. And he will want players who are available. That sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, but he can't wait around to see what next injury is going to happen to Christian Pulisic. Mm-hmm. He needs players that are going to be available for him to do what he wants to do in this period of time at Chelsea. Financial figures came out for Chelsea last week. Go to Swiss Ramble on Twitter. And it's so important for Chelsea and their finances in the last few seasons in particular that they've been able to sell players. That has been big in terms of balancing the books and keeping the books looking good. And... I think Ms. Granovskaya will look at someone like Christian Pulisic and think, okay, look at what age he is. He's, what, 22? Um, he has some outstanding metrics and, and has had some good games for Chelsea, but uh, we can't keep this guy fit. Now is the time to try and get some money back of the $75 million that we put out there uh, to, to buy him. 
So the summer may be the opportune moment for them to do that. Boy, I'm so and curious if they would have to take a fine. How, would they how take a, a hit? hit? Yeah, I mean, because like, here, I'll say this. Tom, Thomas Tuchel, his, his comments about Pulisic, I'm not going to say that they're, they're wrong. He's right to say, you know, we need players who, who, what did he say, JJ, continue to improve. Like, okay, I, I get that that he has to kind of have that sort of message that we can't have players resting on their laurels. Right. However, I, I do feel I, I'm going to put on my, my most patriotic of American underpants right now and <laughs> almost become Christian Pulisic. Um, but like, this is not a talent issue with, for me with Christian Pulisic. This is not like, how is he good enough to play at Chelsea? Like I almost resent the idea that that's even being broached. I, I know, I know but who's not, saying that. I don't I think know. we're saying that, but I'm just trying to hammer home the idea of when this guy plays, he's the real deal. He's the goods. He's everything that we as American supporters and whoever the Chelsea supporters are out there, he's everything that you and, and us hope him to be. This to me is an injury issue only. That's really how I feel about this. And unfortunately, he's like all the things that we've talked about and the concerns that we've had as to whether or not he can stay healthy with these muscular injuries, these recurring damn muscular injuries, like that is the issue. Uh, I don't know if that changes at another club. I have no idea. But like to me, it is, this is not a time, like if you're a Chelsea supporter that thought Chelsea paid too much for him and you're beating your chest saying, I was right, I knew he wasn't good enough for this club. I'm here to tell you, I still think you're wrong. This is not about that. I just think, unfortunately, his body is betraying him and I feel terrible for him. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even broaching the idea that he's not good enough. That, that, I, I don't want that conversation anymore. That is past for me. He's the, an elite level player. Um, Bayern Munich apparently this is the rumor mill has begun uh, now this this all depends on what Kingsley Coleman decides to do uh, whether he has a contract extension or uh, whether he re-signs with Bayern whether he decides he wants to move on um, but the rumor was that uh, Pulisic, Pulisic is viewed as a replacement for Coleman which uh, would be great interesting to see him go back to Bayern Munich I think it would be um, great for him to okay. play at Bayern Munich. All right. Shall we park our, our, our Pulisic uh, worries and fears and for a moment? Sure. Uh, that's really most of what I have in terms of the Premier League. I did have one other thing, actually, that I wanted to mention. because We didn't do much on Manchester United this week, but I, I did want to mention one thing. Like You were talking about Aaron Cress, uh, Cresswell before as kind mm. of like almost a hidden gem at fullback in this league. And I, I kind of wanted to touch on another one because when we talk about great fullbacks, you know, we, we talk Trent and Robertson, Cancelo. Uh, today you've mentioned Cresswell. But I at least wanted to, to mention something about Luke Shaw because – We, we mentioned talk, him last week. Right. But, like, oftentimes I feel like when he gets talked about by fans, like, I don't for whatever reason, he's – I feel like he's, like, more often a punchline than he is – a guy who's there for praise, like his injuries or, or his size for his position. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wanted to mention this one thing that I saw from the website who scored. Uh, and they noted after the Newcastle game that only five players in all of the Premier League have created more goal scoring opportunities this season than the 45 created by Luke Shaw. So props to him because he's having a very good season and you don't get a ton of people out there who are ready to tell you that. Uh, and I'm here to be one of those people. Good man. Um, a couple other things not in the Premier League, JJ. Milan Derby, Inter Milan, get a massive win over AC Milan. 
And uh, Romelu Lukaku, JJ, while we're talking about Manchester United, a player who seems like he has almost completely rehabilitated his reputation from where it was when he left United to where it is now, uh, where I think you'd have to view him as among the top. What would you say? Is he now, the way he's playing, a top three striker in the world? Uh, Right now, yes, he would be. He would be considered that. Although, I mean, again. I mean, who are we talking about? We're talking about like Lewandowski. Holland. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the, the group, I would say, I would say it's Lewandowski, Holland, Mbappe, um, Mohamed Mbappe, Salah, Kane, uh, sure, Salah. Uh, I, I mean, does Luis Annie Suarez B- still have to be included? He, he's he's yeah. tied with Messi for goals right now in La Liga. See, see the, the, prob- the problem would be if you're uh, Inter Milan, is where are they in the European spectrum, Andrew? And they are not hmm. in the Champions League. They went out in the group stages. So that creates a problem for, for assessing these players. So, I, I, you know, um, but, but I'm happy to put him in that list if you wish. I'm very happy to put him in there. I mean, his second goal, was it his second goal? The third goal, where he just races past the Milan defense and then lashes one in from about 20, 22 yards into the bottom corner was, was a breathtaking goal. Pretty impressive. And uh, a huge win for Inter Milan. Meanwhile, also in Italy, JJ Weston McKinney bags a goal for uh, Juventus in their 3-0 win. Uh, Cristiano, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo got the other two, but a nice goal for McKinney off, a, off of a corner kick and kind of like bounced around and then smashed it home. So good job, uh, good job by him. What was his celebration? Did you see it? Somebody said it was a Harry uh, Potter celebration. Is um, that what it was? I, yeah, some Harry Potter thing. I don't know. Why? Why would such contempt? I, I don't you hate I don't. Harry Potter. No, uh, I, I no, I've never. I haven't read a book. I I got dragged. Imagine I didn't read a single book and I got dragged to like the third one, the third movie. <laughs> so I'm just sat there. I'm like, by who? Uh, your girlfriend? I know it was a buddy of mine who was a big Harry Potter guy. He read all the books. This is See, not a. Here's I just wonder about. I've never read any of the books either. I've never seen the movie. That's not for um, me. I just know. Really, you strike me as a big wizard guy. Yeah, yeah. I've wizards, always, I have always gotten that vibe from you. But I, this was a like you didn't feel the ability to say no. I'm good. I'm not. I'm not doing it. like you had to go with him to see Harry Potter. I would. I if a, think if a he friend was of mine in... asked me that, I'd said I've never read a book. I've never seen a movie. Go ask someone else. He was, in, yes. he was in this phase where he was trying to convince me that, you know, watch a film, maybe that's in a doorway or a gateway into, into reading the books. But I'm like... And let's start with the third one. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those weird random ones in, in your 20s where you're like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just do this. And I did buy a lot of, of um, popcorn and, and candies and chocolates. So I was pretty happy to just lay back lay back and break wind into the uh into the oh. movie theater seats as i just chomp away you really yeah, are I, that guy if i'm not going to enjoy this no one's enjoying it i'm going to fart my way through this movie and i want you all <laughs> to smell it i don't know why i added the farts um but uh yeah no i would i would never fart in public that's oh. disgusting well, good. Um, and that's our analysis of weston mckinney's goal from over the <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't know what the celebration was, but the internet told me it was Harry Potter, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Just uh, not my, not my cup of tea, man. Well, um, well, I'll say this about him. While, while like 
Christian Pulisic, and you know, while he kind of is like scuttling along at, at Chelsea and it's not quite going the way that we had hoped it would, um, Weston McKinney, I feel like, has just been – this has been a big success. Like, I, I couldn't possibly feel better about him and his development and where he's at moving There's forward. A, I was watching a game, I think, two weeks ago against Inter. Uh, I think it was Inter in the Cup. And he's, he's in midfield, Andrew, and he's, he's like miles behind the play. And he just makes this sprinting run to the corner, sniffs out the danger, tracks down the attacking player. I can't remember, was it Perisic? I, I'm not even sure. And just slams him in a tackle, wins the ball out over the sideline. Like I said, he's, he's just got this vibe of, of that all-action midfielder. And um, he reminds me, again, a little bit of, uh, of young Roy Keane. Like, this is a great move that's going really well. Seems we a lot stop. nicer and friendlier, though. No, he does. Like, I, I don't mean, think I would be quite as scared to be around him as I would. If, if Roy Keane's face just appeared on this, like, Zoom chat right now, I, I think I might just, like, instinctively log off and hide. We have to get him on the podcast. If he's going to be now so free with his time on, on in, that he has social media, we, we have to get him on the podcast here. Um, I, just one thing, uh, much less... Uh, fun news about the Jordan Morris ACL injury at Swansea. I'm going to that mention is... that later. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. okay. I will keep... you read none of what I sent you. And, oh. uh, you've yeah, to go I, rogue. I did not read the program notes, and I apologize. And now you're paying for it. I hope right. you're embarrassed. We continue now, JJ. You have a mailbag, which I have read. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, this is... Uh, this is a good mailbag, little mailbag here. Um, caught offside ESPN on Instagram, at your soccer pod on Twitter, caught offside pod at gmail.com. Uh, go on iTunes, rate us, uh, do all those things. Um, they're very important to us. Uh, this is from Shaolin the Baptist on Thierry Henry and Bournemouth. So, which still hasn't been confirmed, right? Well, no, Bournemouth have named someone else, at least for the remainder of the season, have they not? Oh, Oh, this is I had not I had not seen this. This must have happened in the in the interim. Uh, Bournemouth manager Jonathan Woodgate given job despite yeah. Tyrion relinks. I had not seen that, mm-hmm. which I mean is an even weirder move considering Jonathan Woodgate's not exactly stellar time at Middlesbrough. Huh. Okay, but anyway, this still this is the point. So we tweeted out about how uh, Bournemouth were in. Uh, conversations with Thierry Henry and uh, we, you know, we had kind of, well, I say we, I had said it kind of doesn't really make any sense, but uh, Shaolin the Baptist got in touch and made a kind of a, an interesting point. I just wanted to share my thoughts about, around Thierry Henry and his consideration for the Bournemouth job. Before I do, I will acknowledge that I'm a huge Arsenal fan and Henry is my favorite player of all time. So I have a lot of bias here. That being said, I understand the conversation around his preparedness for his new position. He hasn't had a lot of success as a manager and he's just starting out. I even question whether or not he was ready for this new opportunity. I'd much rather him be in a position to be successful and I thought Montreal was a great place for him to build and learn. On the other hand, if Frank Lampard can be put into the Chelsea job, whether he should have or should not have, then Henri can be given a chance at Bournemouth. That's why I can conflate Henri's readiness with representation of black managers. Decisions like this all, uh, happen all the time across all sports, but disproportionately less for black coaches and managers. I understand that this is a complicated topic, and apologies if I'm not eloquent, eloquently stating my point. You are. I just want to see former players of color getting the same chances as their white counterparts. Again, love the pod. You all do great work. Yeah, I had not thought about that angle, Andrew. There are hardly any black managers in the football league. And I, I would look at it this way. 
for, you know, Thierry Henry is a legend and that opens doors for him that are certainly not there for black coaches who are coming up the ranks in league football or in lower league football or trying to get their, their opportunities. Um, so I had not really considered uh, this. I suppose this, my white privilege is that I see Thierry Henry having a pretty indifferent managerial career and getting the Bournemouth job. And I think, ah, oh, that's, that's not a good thing. That's not great. And I don't even think about what the knock-on effects of that, of having another, uh, of having a black manager in the championship might mean. So, um, so yeah, I thought it was really good from Shaolin the Baptist. I think it's a great point. Honestly, yeah. I love it. I love that point. Um, He's right. Like, if guys like Frank Lampard are going to get chances, then why shouldn't guys like Thierry Henry get chances? I think. Yeah, but it, yeah, for me, it was just like, you know, I, I didn't think I didn't think Frank Lampard should have got the chance, the opportunity he got at either Derby or Chelsea. I didn't think he'd done enough to earn it. But then, you know, I, it was amazing that how I maybe didn't think how difficult it is for a black manager to get to get a role in a championship team, and that Thierry Henry doing that is, it, if anything, it. I know he hasn't done it, but if he did do it, it kind of highlights this huge problem. Um, I would like to think that more black managers who are not Thierry Henry could get a shot at this. I think that would be the, the ideal. Um, this is a great story uh, that is inspired by our Greece, your 2004 chat last week from Paul Dolan. Um, I just heard your mailbag conversation about Greek football in Euro 2004, and it brought back great memories. In late 2003, I decided it was time to take my first soccer road trip and attend Euro 2004. I went to the UEFA ticketing site and tried to buy follow-your-team tickets to England, Portugal, Netherlands, Spain, France, Germany, etc., and they were all sold out. I looked at the qualification standings and saw that Greece were leading their qualification group, and they had finals tickets available. What a weird system this is. So I purchased a follow your team pass for Greece. Note, I have no Greek heritage. In June, I told my boss I'd be out of office for two weeks and pack my backpack. Greece win the opening match and host Portugal. And then we know what they went on to do. They beat defending champions, France, Czech Republic, Portugal, all golden generations by 1-0 scorelines to win the title. It was exhilarating to celebrate with the Greek supporters and heartbreaking to see the Portugal supporters who had been such gracious hosts. Multiple times I had to call back to my boss and request an extension on my vacation. It was the most unbelievable soccer trip of my life, and that includes three World Cups. Thank you for reminding me of the memories of your 2004. First of all, you are a blessed in individual that's been to three World Cups and a European Championships. Um, that's the first thing. And your boss is a good person. Yeah, and, yeah and, but the second thing is like, what are the odds? You're like, how many games am I going to get out of this, this package? following Greece and they go all the way to the final and win the damn thing. All right. Uh, finally, Pedram wants to know, I wanted to ask you guys, knowing that you're two huge football fans, how come you never even mention anything FIFA, the video game related? Um, well, first off, I would say that's not totally true because I think it was just two weeks ago that I mentioned uh, Alexander Pato as being somebody who I thought FIFA like got him wrong. Like I felt like his rating was always higher than the player he actually was. So we did reference it pretty recently. Mm. Um, in terms of why we don't... So earlier in this podcast's existence, wasn't there one year where we actually had someone on to review FIFA? Uh, was it like FIFA... FIFA, FIFA 2016, I think. Yeah. Uh, so we did used to talk about it more. 
why we don't now, I, I guess I don't really have a good answer to that. I just don't. I used there's to, lots of other things to talk about in like real soccer. Well, I suppose there's that. I mean, for me, like I, it, for a long time, it was the only video game that I continued to buy. Yeah. Uh, and I hate sounding like such a, <laughs> such a dweeb saying this, but like, especially since I had my second kid, I don't, I haven't touched my PlayStation in, in like in such a long time. I just, I don't know. I would love to sit down and just like bang out, you know, a few hours of playing it every once in a while, but I just it's time consuming, man. I just haven't been able to one day. I like, can't wait for Jack and Luke to be older and like know how to play video games so I can play against them again. It, um, it takes up so much time um, because it doesn't you get have hooked. to. That was, that was always one of the things that was good about FIFA is that you could, you could play like three games in a sh- pretty short amount of time. Like you get like three or four games done in an hour. If well, I'm just, spe- I'm just speaking for myself. Whenever I started playing or, you know, FIFA or Championship Manager, I've had brief forays into these games and, I, and it's just eaten up time. And, and that's half the reason why I don't go out and get a new console and start playing again because I know that's the way it'll go. Um, yeah. I wonder if more people feel like this, though, what Pedram said, that they like, want us to talk more about the video game. I don't really know in what terms he means. Like, is it a good game or not? Like analyzing our own games, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I, don't know. I get it. Like, it's an awesome video game. I loved it for years. And, and, and look, it's been a huge portal to, to soccer for so many people in this country and, and around the world. So yeah, I get it. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's specific gaming uh, podcasts you can listen to for your FIFA hit. There you go. JJ's, Let's too, go FIFA. JJ's too learned. He needs to spend I'm, that time reading, consuming medical journals. No, I'm not, but I do prefer reading, you know? So, <laughs> wow. God. Wow. Yeah, he was serious. Where have we got to in this country where, oh, you read is some kind of a slag? God. Uh, all right. Let's do this now, JJ, as we wind down the show. A little bit of red card man of the match. Uh, I'm going to start with my red card, and you referenced it a little bit earlier, and it is Jordan Morris, not him. Of course, but the situation. situation situation around him, it's enough to make you sick, quite frankly. Um, Swansea City manager Steve Cooper announced yesterday what we had unfortunately expected. Uh, he said this, he's had a bad injury, unfortunately, for him. It's, it's, it's significant ligament damage, ACL, everything we hoped it wasn't. Unfortunately, it is, Cooper said on Monday. It's the end of his season for us and a long road back to recovery. It's very cruel. Oh, man. Um, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago, 2018, Morris missed the season for Seattle when he tore his ACL in the CONCACAF Champions League, came back from that, was an even better player in Jordan Morris 2.0 than the original version. He won MLS's Comeback Player of the Year, had reemerged as one of the best players in the league, earned his spot, I think, with the national team. And now who knows? He's 26 years old and his future is once again in flux. And it's just so cruel as this kind of next chapter of his career was only just beginning. uh, And it felt promising. Uh, But now Swansea, Seattle, the U.S. men, Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying, it's all going to be placed on hold. Um, And he's going to have to start over and go through the rehab process and work his way back into uh, whether it be the national team picture or Swansea or Seattle, whoever he returns to. It's uh, it just sucks. It sucks. He's come back to the U.S. He's going to have surgery in Santa Monica 
and I, I can't stress it enough. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast, I feel like it's, it's almost become like a, a joke in some ways over the last few years, but like I've got such love for this guy and his game. Yeah. And uh, I just can't say it enough. We wish him all the best and we, we can't wait to see him playing again, hopefully, you know, a year or so from now. I've got another um, injury situation for my right car. All right. Uh, Colin O'Doy at ESPN FC. Um, he's writing about Napoli forward Victor Ossiman, who was di- di- excuse me, who was discharged to return to Naples on Monday after spending the night under observation at a hospital in Bergamo following an alarming collapse towards the end of the club's 4-2 Serie A defeat by Atalanta on Sunday. Ossiman was knocked unconscious in a scary incident during the final minutes of the game after a challenge with Christian Romero. He was stretchered off the pitch and taken directly to hospital. A close advisor to the player told ESPN that a disorientated Ossiman was shocked when he saw the video of the incident. He could not believe it when they showed him the video. It, he said it felt like a brain reset. Aye. Multiple, multiple reports say the Nigerian regained consciousness on the way to hospital, but the source tells ESPN that Ossiman was out for slightly longer. He said he lost consciousness for about 30 minutes. That was not until they got to the hospital that he actually realized what was happening around him, and that was when they showed him the video. 30 minutes? That's just horrifying. Yeah, that's really, really frightening. Um, and the term brain reset. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. That was a wild game, by the way. It was nil-nil at the half, was it not? Yeah. All six goals came in the second half. Oh, it was a tremendous game, actually. And there were some really good goals in it, too. It was very enjoyable. But Napoli and Atalanta, if you were picking two teams for enjoyable football in Syria, that would be them. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One more here, JJ. My women of the match. I wanted to talk about this. Um, U.S. women. They're going to take the field Wednesday night against Argentina. They'll need just a draw to be crowned champions of this year's She Believes Cup. Uh, this comes after uh, they kind of eked out a 1-0 win over rivals Canada and then once again found a way against a, a pretty difficult and good Brazilian side thanks to goals from Kristen Press and Megan Rapino. I continue to watch this team, JJ, and I just – I continue to beat this drum of how do you beat them? I mean, Argentina, I'm sure, are, are going to do what they do. They're going to try to slow the game down. They're going to try to make it ugly. But it doesn't matter because I feel like this U.S. women's team can win in any number of ways. They can dominate possession. They can beat you on the counter. They're great through set pieces. We've seen that time and time again. They are just – they're top-level quality at every position on the pitch. And I know, you know it, this tournament hasn't been flawless for them. There's been some, some kind of, like, frightening moments here and there. Crystal Dunn made a great kind of last-ditch tackle. That was um, amazing. Yeah. Have you seen uh, so, the slow-mo? No, I, I only saw the regular in real time. Oh, she comes out of the picture just out of nowhere. Brilliant tackle. She, yeah. she's, her stock is rising with every game. Oh, yeah. No, she's, she's fantastic. But, like, I was thinking about – so in this last game uh, against Brazil, you know, you're watching this game and you just – you think about what the opposing team must be thinking. It's the 71st minute. And the U.S. is going to make substitutions. So off comes Alex Morgan and Kristen Press. So they can bring on Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd. Like we were talking before about Manchester City and like what they have on their bench. And I almost feel like that pales in comparison to what the U.S. women can do. Uh, it's unbelievable. By the way, for Press, uh, it's worth mentioning she's now up to, I believe, 59 goals, which like I, I was going to say it's, it's a quiet 59 because that's a huge number. I might want to even double check it, but I feel uncomfortable saying it's a quiet 59 goals because we always talk about how all of her goals are amazing. And that was the case once again. She had a beautiful one to open the scoring against Brazil. Um, 
So it's, this team is just, they're a joy to watch. It's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock on FS1, U.S. and Argentina. Like I said, a draw is all the U.S. will need to, uh, to take home the She Believes Cup title. Um, unbeaten in 36 straight, J.J., and 52 straight on U.S. soil. Just, they're a machine. They are a machine. They, they make Stoya Bucharest look like <laughs> com complete schlubs. Uh, my man of the match is the, uh, well, it's the situation. The Premier League clubs will be able to welcome up to 10,000 fans back to stadiums on the final weekend of the season. Prime Minister Boris Johnson spoke in the House of Commons yesterday ahead of laying out a roadmap for England's move out of lockdown. During the speech, he confirmed that stadiums will be able to host 10,000 fans or a quarter of full capacity, whichever is smaller, from May 17th. Uh, the final day of the season is May 23rd. Um, so that is interesting. Now, it's not, it's not guaranteed. There will be monitoring of the situation and of infection rates, etc. But they, this is the roadmap. This is the plan. Um, the Athletic goes on to report a further step in the roadmap sees all restrictions lifted on June 21st. This would be significant for Euro 2020. Wembley is set to host the semifinals and final of the competition. That could mean a full stadium for the showpiece game on July 11th. So we will be watching this. Um, it'll also be interesting that for crucial relegation battles and possibly top four uh, top four matchups there could be fans in the stadium for some yeah. of these games which is kind of an interesting little wrinkle into things you can imagine you know uh we got relegated on the final day because they had their fans at the ground you know oh, after a, you know, like after there well after a season where everyone has played without well that's not even true either because there were some fans back briefly before they locked down again so maybe it's not that much of a wrinkle. It has been inconsistent. There have been fans in the ground, but this will be fans in the ground at a pretty crucial time. Yeah. <laughs> like the final week? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could. So, I don't know. To see it again, like I would say as soon as they feel comfortable doing it, they just, just go for it. It's amazing that, you know, okay with it. In, in, in previous years we've had Lasagna Gate. That's that sorted out the outcome of a, of a race for the Champions League. Uh, what else? We've got Carlos Tevez gate where he wasn't properly registered and that relegated Charlton. And now we have fans in the stadium gate. gate. Oh, you, you think this rises to that level, huh? No, no, no. I'm just... I mean, I don't view it as anything like untoward. No, it's not. Like, like I said, there was, already, there was already fans in the stadium briefly. So it's just a little, little inconsistent. Well, it'll look nice. I mean, it, it'll, it's like... I'm kind of getting tired of this. No fans in stadiums. It's just, I don't know. I'm ready Games to see people, you know, back celebrating and being happy and, and all that again. So, yeah, we'll see. By the way, I did double check. Kristen Press, it is 59 international goals, which That's... is outstanding. I mean, to put it in perspective, like Donovan and Dempsey are the all-time U.S. men's leaders with 57. I know it's not apples to apples, just kind of like – putting that out there is just like to a reminder because like, she's not when we talk about like the great American women goal scorers of this era it's kind of like Lloyd Wambach uh, Morgan like I, I don't know how many names you would go through before you got to Kristen Press but god she's just like a ruthless goal scorer for them uh, so props to her and uh, good stuff good stuff all around our thanks to Rashane Thomas who joined us from the athletic to talk about West Ham as we went in the club with them in their race to uh, maintain top four status 
Uh, we got Champions League midweek. I hope everybody enjoys games. Some of them have probably happened by now. I know Chelsea and Atletico are in action today. Uh, what is it? Uh, Bayern and Lazio as well, I believe. Yeah, which um, a couple of people noted is just like a matchup that you never see. Yeah. It's just such a weird coming together of two teams that would never usually play each other. Yeah. So there we are. Um, but yeah, it should be a fun midweek, and then we're back at it again over the weekend. So uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff to you. Thanks to everybody out there who listened this week. We'll be back at it again next week. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.